So throughout this retreat, I've been offering a range of different practices, many of them aimed at cultivating insight or wisdom, and some that develop the heart. And a few nights ago, in my talk on wisdom and compassion, I briefly mentioned the four Brahma-Vihara practices that develop four beautiful qualities of heart and mind, namely kindness, compassion, appreciative joy, and equanimity. And this afternoon, I'd like to begin exploring the first of these four qualities, which is metta, commonly translated as loving-kindness. So in this session, I'll give first some context about how metta is usually practiced, and then we'll move into a guided metta meditation together. So traditionally, we begin this training with metta because in the insight tradition, it's the foundation that the other three Brahma-Vihara develop from. So metta is the heart's orientation to kindness, to goodwill, to friendliness, to benevolence. And ultimately, it allows us to meet everyone, every being we encounter, (coughs) with equal openness and warmth of heart and mind. Now, maybe it's stating the obvious, but that's not where most of us start. We might hold that as a beautiful aspiration, but most of us need quite some training to develop that capacity for kindness more universally. And just in case some of you might be feeling already a little bit daunted, maybe having a sense, but that's just not who I am. Or just, that sounds too hard. You don't know about my excruciatingly difficult family members or my neighbors from hell. So keep in mind that metta is often translated although it's often translated as loving-kindness. In some suttas, it's simply defined as non-ill-will, non-ill-will or non-aversion, which hopefully makes it a bit more manageable. So how do we actually cultivate metta as a meditation practice? Now, although the Buddha stressed the importance of metta in so many of his teachings, There's really only one sutta that gives us actual practice instructions on how to do it. And in that sutta we're asked to, quote, abide with our hearts imbued with metta and then spread this kindness outwards to the north, the south, the east, the west, then above, below, and all around to cover the entire world. So this discourse starts with the assumption that we're already abiding with our hearts imbued with kindness, which again, for many people, is quite a big assumption. (laughs) might feel a bit like trying to start the engine of the car in fourth gear. So most people need some help to get to that stage of being able to abide with the heart imbued with metta before they can start radiating it universally. And perhaps because of that challenge, after the lifetime of the Buddha, specific techniques were developed for generating metta by using words and phrases. And this is what I call the reciting phrases method of metta practice. And it's the most common approach in the Western insight tradition. So teachers such as Sharon Salzberg and Jack Cornfield, Tara Brach, you may be familiar with, 
and probably most of you here have at least done some practice with that method where we bring to mind a sequence of different people and for each person we recite phrases that evoke well-wishing, kindness, friendliness. So the benefits of that method are that the words help remind us of the qualities that we're aiming for. (coughs) They can help keep the attention focused. And because we're working with specific people, it usually feels a bit more real. One disadvantage of this method, though, is that words are very subjective. So what works for one person might be completely meaningless or even off-putting for someone else. So when I give the guided meditation in a few minutes, I'll use fairly generalized, even generic phrases. But if you have your own phrases that work for you, feel free to stay with them. And if you don't already have a set of phrases that work for you, then you might start experimenting. See if you can find some language that does resonate for you. So as a starting point in the Visuddhimagga, which is a classical text that this method of metta practice comes from, the traditional phrases are, may I be happy and free from suffering. May I keep myself free from enmity, affliction and anxiety and live happily. Now for myself, in my own meta practice, I changed that language slightly because I found that because of the mind's inherent negativity bias, which gives more emphasis to what's unpleasant than to what's pleasant, I found that when I was using those phrases, the reference to suffering, to enmity, to affliction and anxiety, my mind would get caught there. So I simplified the language and I took out the reference to those afflictive states. And instead I came up with these phrases which I'll use today. May I or you be safe. May you be healthy. May you be happy. May you know peace. So whatever phrases you use, the idea is to keep them short and simple and to try to find words that are universally applicable to everyone, remembering that ultimately we want to be able to offer these qualities equally to everyone. And although it can be very tempting to try to customize our phrases to suit specific people, if we do this, it's very easy for preferences to creep in. So we can find ourselves, when we're working with a good friend, coming up with all kinds of beautiful, poetic, flowery, loving language. But then when we get to the neutral person or the difficult person, the phrases get a bit shorter, maybe even terse. Yeah, may you be well, may you be happy, I suppose. May you get over that irritating habit of leaving your dirty dishes in the sink. So we find ourselves getting caught in conditionality rather than unconditionality. Once we have found the phrases that work for us, the invitation is always to start with people where the meta flows most easily and naturally, and then gradually progress to more neutral people, then to more difficult people. Then we can expand to include animals and ultimately all living beings everywhere. 
And although the general idea is that we progress from easy to difficult, there's no set time frame for this. So one common mistake that people make with metta practice is to try to move way too quickly to the category of the so-called difficult person. And then when they can't manage to cultivate metta for that person, when they find themselves instead perhaps lost in aversion, they get frustrated, judge themselves or judge the practice for not working. So please keep in mind this is a gradual training. And if at any point we're running into difficulty, we can back up, return to where the metta comes more naturally. And then when that feeling gets strong, experiment with extending it to a slightly more difficult person. And then a slightly more difficult person again. So one analogy that's sometimes used for this whole process is the image of a waterfall. So if you imagine a waterfall that's a series of rock basins descending down a cliff. If you imagine a river flowing over the edge of that cliff and it fills the rock basin that's nearest to the top and then when that first basin is full it just naturally spills over and flows further down to the next basin below it and so on and so on, all the way down to the bottom of the cliff. And so the process continues very naturally and effortlessly. So the general idea is we start with where metta comes most easily. And in the classical Visuddhimagga practice, that was assumed to be for ourselves. Now, as many teachers have pointed out, that's not necessarily true. These days, many people really struggle to offer kindness to themselves. So, in with that intention to start where it comes more easily, today we'll begin with the category of the benefactor. And this term benefactor refers to anyone who perhaps has helped us in some way, who's supported us, someone you feel a sense of gratitude towards or respect or appreciation. So it could be a mentor or a teacher or a spiritual teacher. could be someone you know well, such as a family member, maybe a grandparent or a kindly aunt or uncle. Or maybe it's a young person, a grandchild or a favorite niece or nephew. It could perhaps be someone you don't know personally at all, but someone you feel embodies this quality of kindness. Maybe His Holiness the Dalai Lama, or Thich Nhat Hanh, or Pema Chodron. It could be a non-human being, maybe a pet, or perhaps a wild creature that you feel a connection to. It doesn't matter who or what the benefactor is. The most important thing is that when you think of that being as just a natural flicker of warmth, and kindness or appreciation. Having said that, try not to worry when you're doing the practice about whether you're getting an actual emotion or not. The most important aspect of the practice is to cultivate the intention to generate metta. And it doesn't matter so much whether you get an emotion or a feeling. In fact, in my own experience, if I'm trying to make an emotion happen, that usually gets in the way. 
So try to let go of any expectation or pressure that you should be feeling something. Because if we're doing it to get a feeling, then it's not unconditional. And in fact, if all you did was sit in silence and every few minutes call up that intention of kindness, whether you feel it or not, that is still time well spent. Even if it feels dry and mechanical, you're still planting seeds, seeds of intentionality. And whether or not they grow straight away, it doesn't matter. But unless we plant the seeds, we're never going to get any flowers. So you can think of this practice as a bit like cultivating the soil, planting the seeds, and then trusting that when conditions are right, the seedlings will emerge and grow. And just to acknowledge that many people do struggle with metta practice. This was certainly true for me early on. You could say that I... Maybe slightly embarrassing to admit, but I loathed it and I stayed as far away as I could from it for at least a couple of years. I was much more comfortable with the insight practices. So if that's true for you, I really encourage you to have patience. It's extremely common. In fact, it's an expected part of the practice that at times it will bring up all kinds of non-metal all kinds of aversion and other perhaps painful and afflictive states. So again, we can remember this slogan, if it's in the way, it is the way. It's actually a good thing that these states come up because unless we can see where we're stuck, we can't do anything about it. So if you do sit down with the intention to cultivate metta and you find yourself bored out of your brain, or seething with petty resentments, or completely numb and blank, or nauseated by the sheer goodness of it all, just try to meet that with kind curiosity. Don't take it personally, don't judge it, but see if you can offer some metta to the non-metta, and then gently begin again. Returning to wherever the metta feels easiest, And if that's nowhere, then respect that. Don't force it. Just quietly come back to mindfulness of breathing for a while. And then at some point later, you might try again. So we're going to work with the category of the benefactor, using those phrases I mentioned earlier. And to begin with, I'll invite us to orient to our own sense of well-being. Because generally it's easier to offer well-wishing to others if we have some sense of well-being in ourselves. So as you listen to the instructions, just let them sort of wash over you. Don't try too hard to follow them exactly. They're an invitation. And you can they can just be in there in the background. And in the foreground is your own body, heart and mind and sensing in to your own way of orienting to metta. So let's give that a try now.